0: Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 28. One of the big decisions a developer has to make is when they sit down to code, what tool do they want to use? Would you like a tool that understands Python and is there to help with suggestions, definitions, and analysis of your code? Many of the developers that I've been working with have been turning to the free tool from Microsoft called Visual Studio Code. This week on the show, we have Savannah Ostrowski, program manager for the Python language server and Python in Visual Studio. We discuss PyLance, a new language server with fast feature-rich language support inside of Visual Studio Code. Savannah explains what a language server is and the types of features it can provide. This includes type information, code completion, automatic imports, dead code analysis, and more. We also have a discussion about type checking in Python, which leads to how PyLance leverages the static type checking tool PyWrite. And water type stubs, those .pyi files you might've seen. Okay, let's get started. The RealPython podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Savannah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Christopher. Thanks for the invite.
0: I thought maybe we could just talk a little bit about what you're doing at Microsoft in kind of the team that you're working with.
1: Yeah, totally. So I joined actually fairly recently in January. Wow. I don't even know what month it is anymore, to be honest. Um, it's like kind of a, <laughs>
0: Thanks, coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, thanks a
1: lot. Yeah, so I joined back in January. I actually joined as a program manager, and before that I was working as a software engineer. So this is like my first foray into the program management role, which is kind of exciting and super exciting to be on a team that's like, Really technical and really deep in like the Python space, and so I joined as the program manager for the Python language server and Python and Visual Studio. Yeah, and I've kind of just been working on PyLance in secret for a couple months, and then in the open since the end of June. Yeah,
0: And uh, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you. A handful of people at Real Python asking me questions about PyLance, and we're excited about it. And then um, I mentioned it to Russell Keith McGee, the guy who creates uh, Beware and briefcase and so forth and i had mentioned that i was you know interested in talking to you and he's like oh i would i would listen to that episode <laughs> <laughs> so i was no like uh. <laughs> exactly so yeah there's some people that are very interested in the subject maybe we could just do a quick background of like you working with uh, python
1: Uh, Yeah. So it's actually kind of funny. So I come from like a non-traditional computer science background in like a mixture of like technical geography and computer science. So like think satellite imagery and whatnot. Oh, cool. And so Python was actually like my first programming language, gosh, like seven or eight years ago now. Very like basic scripting. And then since then, I've kind of been working like on and off with Python, kind of doing like everything from like data engineering to like Full stack development, like Flask and um, kind of like React type apps. So yeah, so I've kind of been all over the place with Python.
0: <laughs> I got a chance to interview Armin Ronacher about about Flask. It was a fun conversation, uh, talking about the history of it and you know kind of his involvement with the project. and It's been fun talking to people that are you know involved in these you know projects and these things that are kind of building up. and I'm really intrigued by what Microsoft is doing in this sort of developer space and especially python creating all these tools so you said you just recently started you started in january in this particular role were you doing other roles at microsoft before that
1: no so i uh i was an external hire to microsoft uh in january it's my first role at microsoft actually
0: okay i guess maybe we could talk about the origins of the project were you initially um working on the vs the visual studio team or the visual studio code team?
1: So it's. It's kind of interesting, so I joined up for the Python language server team, and then Python and Visual Studio as kind of like it's like part of my main role, but my focus has been primarily on the language server since I've joined. but yeah, the the language server is kind of like, and we can get into this. Uh, I'm sure you have questions about the LSP and stuff. but <laughs> oh yeah, it's like a kind of client agnostic type piece of software. So I partner with a lot of teams, like club right now very closely with Visual Studio code and that team, but there's, you know, plans for pilots to be incorporated into other products in the future. So and other Azure offerings. So it's kind of like a very collaborative role in that way.
0: Yeah. You get to work across a lot of different groups, probably getting a lot of feedback.
1: Yeah. It's actually like really interesting too, because I, like our, we have the Python team at Microsoft has grown a lot. And so we have like a lot of PMs that have very like discreet focus on like things like I'm a date, like they focus on data science, uh, Python stuff, whereas PyLance is very much like this overarching, like I have users that are like, you know, people brand new to using Python that have like, you know, this is their first programming language all, all the way up to like, or I'm a machine learning engineer or I do full stack web development or so like my the users that I have to consider are really broad, which I think is like one of the most fun parts of working on PyLance is like, how do we make this approachable for everyone?
0: Yeah, I, that, that I think is... So crucial because that's one of the kind of ongoing conversations that I have with, with everybody, you know, me, being myself, you know, fairly new to Python and, and wanting to learn through teaching and doing this podcast to do the same kind of thing to kind of break things down and explain them. I think that's always a great direction to kind of come from is to always sort of look at like, okay, well, how are people going to use this? And, you know, from, you know, those beginning developers all the way to the advanced ones. So
1: totally. And I feel like any way that like we can make a product like makes Python more approachable, especially like when you're first starting to learn how to code or like learning Python, I feel like there's already so many things that are like overwhelming and like, you know, that you have to kind of grapple with. It's like, you know, finding like the wins for like our new developers, I think is like something that's really, I don't know, empowering for me.
0: Yeah, totally. I guess we could dive right in then. And just say my, my first question is, okay. I have, when I heard the term a language server, my head kind of spun a little bit. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what is a language server in in that terminology?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, so you're not alone. I was also <laughs> new to the concept of a language server um, when I started at Microsoft, and so like the way I like to think of a language server is kind of like a provider of like all the bells and whistles of what I would consider a good developer experience for Python. So. Kind of like everything from like completions to signature help and doc strings and code navigation, you know, errors and warnings in your code. So like a language server is really just like a piece of software that is written in like a client agnostic kind of way in that it doesn't care who you're at, ed- what editor IDE you're using. But like, well, specifically, like we're using a language server that abides by the language server protocol. So that makes it like easy to kind of plug and play into different editors and IDs, so long as they also communicate under that protocol.
0: So that part's kind of new, the idea of making a language server have a, a protocol so that it can work across the landscape. That's kind of a newer development.
1: Uh, I mean, Microsoft has been working on that for a couple of years now. I think like the historically like people who were developing tools that were in the language server flavor were you know writing support for python for a specific editor ide but now like with the language server protocol that standardizes how servers and development tools can communicate and so it's kind of like a win for people who are both working on like these providers but also like the tooling vendors because it means that you can just write one Application and have that kind of plug in to whatever editor.
0: Obviously, it's something that you can add to VS Code pretty easily. What are other IDEs that it could be used with?
1: So for Pylance, Pylance is specifically made for Microsoft products. Okay. But for like, if you were writing like a your own language server, you could you know, use the LSP, the language server protocol, and create a language server that could be used in something like, I don't know, Sublime or like uh, VI or something like, or with Vim or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So it's not necessarily tied to like a Microsoft product. It's like you're creating it so that you could, I guess it's kind of like, in my opinion, kind of like productizing your language server. So it's kind of like, it stands alone, but it can be used with a lot of other things.
0: Right. So it's kind of it maybe hopefully expanding the the footprint of, of it and getting more users on board it. Totally. So before PyLance, were there other tools that were using the language server protocol?
1: The our original language server offering, the Microsoft Python language server, abided by the language server protocol largely. There were areas that it did not. But with pylance, we've been really trying to make it totally LSP compliant to save us headaches later.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So to kind of go back a little bit to talk about the things that it serves or provides, you kind of yeah. listed off a bit of a laundry list of those things. Can we go back over them one by one a little bit? Yeah,
1: totally. This is kind of. I'm glad you're asking that because I feel like when I mentioned that I work on a language server, people are like, "So what is that?" And I list out a million things, or like. But I get those without PyLance. Like, why Why is PyLance special?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: So PyLance provides things like completions, or some people call them auto-completions. So if you're, like, typing and you hit dot and you get the list of potential functions or, um, you know, variables that you could use, that's something that PyLance provides. Also, signature help. So that's kind of like, while you're typing, PyLance has the ability to kind of help, in my opinion, kind of help you write code a little easier because it basically provides you with the signature and a tooltip so that you know what parameters the function is expecting and it also handles functions where there's like multiple overloads on that function so you can kind of toggle that tooltip
0: Yeah I was looking at your video uh, demonstration of that and it kind of intrigued me cuz overloading is yeah. you know kind of a bit of an advanced topic for you know somebody who's like you know getting into Python and and learning just object oriented stuff right away And so I was like, oh, that's really kind of funky that it allows you to see all the different, like there was like literally like a one, two, three, up and down arrow of the different things that this, you know, function could be, could have been overloaded to, to handle these different types. And I'm guessing that's through, does that require annotations for that to work?
1: The way that works is kind of like, if you have, so you don't need to have like annotations or stubs to get that it's basically like if you've created a function that has an overload we basically can can find that information and then provide it to you in the tooltip and the one thing that's kind of interesting about the signature help is that while you're able to like manually kind of toggle between them i to your point about like if you're a new python developer you may not understand why we're showing you multiple right like something that i think is pretty cool is that we have the ability to kind of like so let's say you're invoking a function that has multiple overloads and you've typed the first parameter and you have a, an overload for that function that actually takes in two parameters. Um, as soon as you start ty- typing the second parameter, we're just going to switch over to the other signature for you. So we kind of like keep track of where you're at and infer like what signature is applicable to the function that you're trying to invoke.
0: Like which path you're traveling down.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you don't necessarily have to manually like click through to find the one that's like applicable to what you're trying to do. Like we, we do that for you. And we also keep track of like named params as well. So that's something that I think um, I was really excited about when we we were able to ship that in in PyLens. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That stuff looks really cool. I think that the way the the definitions sort of show up it is different. Like the that layout looked really different to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How it's kind of like kind of like a split window.
1: Are you talking about the, the like total? when it's
0: provi- providing hints and then um, providing the? I'm going to say the wrong word, but the descriptions of of you know the functions. Yeah. To the right of it, and then then of all the arguments and everything, kind of like almost kind of formatted like a like a code formatter yeah (laughs) Um, whereas some, yeah it's different
1: yeah so the the difference is that so we have docs so we're uh, so the the top part of that tooltip if you're invoking a function and you get completions and you see on the right hand side the the bigger tooltip we prioritize the signature in that tooltip okay and i think the difference that we're also trying to figure out the best if there's additional improvements we want to make here for readability, especially for kind of beefier functions. But like we show the the types of each parameter in the, the signature, which if you don't use types in Python, maybe you don't care about. But I still think that it's kind of valuable, especially if you're like, I don't know, invoking something like read CSV from pandas and there's like 50 parameters that it could possibly take in. You're like, which one? <laughs> this um yeah so yeah that's a
0: huge one (laughs) yeah it's
1: it's like it's a that's like the the best example so yeah so we we have the the signature at the top with the types the parameter types and the return type and then if possible we get the doc string so that's kind of like the the general like hierarchy that we have now but definitely open to to user feedback if there's ways that people think that the readability there could be improved yeah
0: so that kind of covered two things like the code hints for like when you're hitting dot and getting the code completion and then you're getting the, the doc strings and the types of parameters and so forth that it can accept. What were, if we're kind of continue on the list, what else was there?
1: Yeah. 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 So we also have like all the code nav stuff. So like go to definition, something pylance handles right now. We, we show you both the, like the definition of that function, but we can also show you the, the signature in the type stub, which is, Something that is interesting if you're into types in Python. And then also diagnostics. So that's, you know, any like any error or warning that appears in your code. We have different levels uh, of diagnostics that we can provide depending on the type checking mode that you select. Okay. So by default, type checking is off as types are kind of this newish construct in Python. So by default, you're going to get errors and warnings for things like unresolved variables or unresolved imports. And then if you enable basic mode, you're going to get, you know, basic set of type checking rules uh, and then strict mode, you're going to get even more type checking rules at the highest level of severity. So they're going to appear as errors.
0: Yeah. So that brings me to want to ask a little more about type checking. And if you could just to talk a little bit about the different ways that the types can be sort of defined in your, in your Python files
1: you know, there's right now, there's like a, a, a couple different approaches, right? There's like, you know, actually annotating your code. Right. But then you also have things like type stubs, uh, which act as separate files, you know, that are what I kind of describe as pseudo Python, because it's, you know, just function signatures and return types. and
0: Yeah, those are really funky. Like, I, that's something I wasn't that familiar with. And, yeah. you know, these .pyi files, I guess, kind of introduced with PEP 561.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I can kind of reference that, but it, like you're saying, they're almost like just the definitions, these kinds of things that, you know, something a tool like PyLance would really love to have to be able to provide you more information about the code that you're writing. So these kind of sit alongside your other files from what I'm reading and trying to do my research. It looks like, you know, it would read that .pyi file first before it goes into the .py file. And inside of it, it would have, you know, the same way you start off your defining your function but then you would have the annotations right there with it, with the return value, the, you know, the little sort of pseudo arrow
1: <laughs> and yeah. the return
0: type, and then a dot, 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 basically saying, you know, implemented somewhere else, you know?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and so that really intrigues me. And I'm like, okay, well, I really want to see some examples of these things. And, and I was, you know, kind of stumped then because I, I, you know, I kind of started my research a little late. And, to get into this conversation and I'm like, okay, well, what are examples of, of that in the wild? Like where where can I find these PYI files and being used and and you know, just to kind of get like a good example of what's happening. I don't know if you have a good example.
1: <laughs> yeah. So pylines is shipped with a bundle of Type stubs for popular modules. Oh, okay. From a repository, an open source repo called TypeShed. Okay. And so you can go into TypeShed and TypeShed has You can see PYI files for some, mostly Python 3, but also some Python 2 uh, modules, which is kind of interesting. And we also like, if you're interested, uh, PyLance also has the ability to provide you with code actions. So if you're in the strictest type checking mode, there's actually a code action that you can generate your own type stub from. It's really bare bones, uh, and there's definitely some manual intervention needed to get it to be like totally accurate but if you're just looking for like a skeleton of like what that structure looks like i think that those are two resources you could check out okay i think there's also some good documentation somewhere i i can't remember what website there was some tutorial on like writing type stubs that was pretty interesting cool i would seen recently
0: i'll have to ha- have you help me find that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah 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 and we'll put it we'll
0: put it in the show notes that sounds good yeah so it, it, the so you're saying that pylance can potentially help you create a mock-up, if you will, of, of a .pyi file that you could then continue to fill in yourself with more types?
1: Yeah, so PyLance, so PyLance uses this static type tech checking tool that was written at Microsoft called PyRite. And so PyRite is what PyLance uses under the hood for like the foundation of its analysis. And by inheritance, we get some really cool features like code actions for generating type stubs but that only shows up if you're in the strictest type checking mode, because we are pretty cognizant that, you know, your average Python developer who's just trying to script probably doesn't care about generating type stuff. Sure. But yeah, so like that will produce like a very bare bones skeleton of like, a, like, like the file structure for you. But like the, in all honesty, like the type part, you're probably going to have to do quite a bit of like, you know, handling to get to the, the level of quality where you would probably be happy with it. Okay, But yeah, I think it's a good like starting point
0: for sure. Yeah. I was, I'm, I love the name of pyrite by the way. <laughs> I, I,
1: oh, I mean, it's like the best. I, I thought that was <laughs> funny. That, uh... Yeah. And
0: then the the <laughs> symbol of it being a, you know, a big rock and I'm like, oh gosh, I used to live in Arizona. And so when I was really young, you know, we'd go out to like these, you know, the Western town and do like the whole thing where you like pan for gold and, <laughs> And uh, <laughs> it was so funny. And of course you'd find the fool's gold of pyrite. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of silly. Yeah.
1: It was, uh, that was, we, we tried to find some, uh, a name for pylance that was a little bit like in the same vein as pyrite. Cause pyrite is like, you know, such an integral part of pylance, but yeah, I'm still, I'm still happy with what we came up no, with. No, no, pylance is
0: amazing. And it fits Python perfectly with the whole Monty Python um, kind of range there also. So.
1: <laughs> well thanks it was definitely like a, a thing my team uh spun wheels on for a while
0: <laughs> uh, cool okay so i did a tutorial on on type checking it's just going to sound like a recurring thing to my listeners me talking about it but I, i'm very intrigued in it because it was one of those things that i got stuck on as a as a beginner in python where i would see the the type sort of written in the code and i was like this stuff doesn't seem to do anything. What is this? You know, and it was intriguing to me and so I wanted to learn more about it. And so I learned about the tool of mypy and right. kind of how it works. But pyright is kind of coming at it from a bit of a different angle, especially with the how it handles the stub files, is that correct?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, pyright and mypy like they're both type checkers. Yeah. Pyright is a little different in that like pyright is really fast. And Pyright and MyPy differ, I think, largely in like the the kinds of rules that they have that they use for type checking. So, like, they have their own set of rules. They are different. They're, there's probably overlap. I'm no MyPy expert by any means.
0: Sure, that's okay. But
1: you know, I think that the beauty of Pyright is that it's just like so configurable. The you know you can really customize like, and then Pylance by extension gets you know all of this, but it allows you to like totally customize the diagnostics that are surfaced in your workspace. So that's like, you know, if you want to suppress a a type of rule that produces errors and warnings, you will have the, you know, that's your prerogative. You can totally do that. You can also set like the severity to be totally different. We support like error, warning, informational and off levels. So that's, I think, kind of Cool, and then also Pyrite supports like this notion of um, kind of like different execution environments. So you could have like a configuration file that tells Pyrite and PyLance that you, you know, want to. Each environment specifies like a different Python version, for instance. You could totally do that, or different platform targets. And so I think like in the customizability, I think that's kind of like what makes Pyrite so flexible. It's like, and I think you know, every developer has like their own setup and customizations that they want. Right. So I think like that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I can imagine that's huge in the sense that um, Python, at least in the recent versions, and obviously organizations are going to be across multiple versions and, you know, upgrading code and so forth. But a lot of the annotations and the type checking and enhancements, you know, from Python 3.8 and now Python Mm 3.9 are in this area, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. So okay, cool. So that was kind of like our <laughs> dive into PyRite and
1: Yeah, that just happened. <laughs> no, it's
0: cool. I, I think what's important is is you're getting a lot of the functionality for Pylance through that, right? Yeah. It's it's helping to inform, you know, how Pylance is responding to the user's input as they're, you know, typing along. Yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. It covers a topic we touch on during this week's episode, and I've actually mentioned several times over the past few weeks. It's titled Python Type Checking. The course is based on an article by Real RealPython author and guest on episode number one, Arn Yella. This is one of my courses, and I take you through what are type annotations and type hints, how to add static types to your code, and the code of others, how to run a static type checker, in this case, we use MyPy, and how to enforce types at runtime. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn about type checking in Python. Whether you're looking at source code of a library you've imported or trying to document your own code, it can help you and others understand the intent of the code. And it'll also make your code work better with tools like PyLance. Like most of the video courses on Real Python, this course is broken into easily consumable sections and you get code examples for the techniques shown. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. So we covered, you know, a couple things kind of initially, as far as the the functionalities that it's providing. One of the ones that I noticed that was really kind of interesting was this idea of auto imports. How's that working?
1: Yeah, uh, so that's a, a feature that has been asked for for a very long time. It is also a very contentious feature. I feel like it's very polarizing. you either really love it or you are not into it at all. So auto imports are so let's imagine that you're you're writing code and you try to invoke functionality from some module that you've you've installed in your virtual environment, but you haven't imported it in the file yet. Okay. so auto imports adds entries to the lists the list of completions that you will get when you start typing out pandas, even if you haven't imported imported it yet to basically allow you to import it by selecting from that list. So you don't have to go to the top of your file and manually type import pandas. We do that for you. So you can just like keep writing code in place. And the reason I say it's, so I mentioned that's contentious because I want to, <laughs> I want everyone listening to know that you can turn it off if you really hate it. <laughs> um, I'm not going to force you to use it. So, so you okay. can, you can disable it But by, by default. We actually do. It isn't turned on for everyone. <laughs>
0: I had an experience. I I was playing with it. I was creating like a a simple Flask app. And as I'm typing along, I, you know, I had initially just imported some basic parts of Flask. And then as I was typing out something and I capitalized like response. And so it went and grabbed that for me, right. Mm -hmm. It grabbed. um, And, and actually I was like, you know it was a typo on my part <laughs> but it was just kind of funny how it like was very eager
1: <laughs> yeah and i
0: think that might be part of part of the 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 contentiousness that you you're you're feeling there yeah um,
1: basically what you're describing is exactly why users tell us that they aren't into it okay. and and i without revealing too much we've been um this is a feature that will will be. There's changes to be made in like the near-ish future sure. to make it a little bit more flexible um, and make the the perform like the experience a little bit better. Okay but but yes <laughs> it is extremely eager and i think like part of it <laughs> from like a user experience perspective is that i think that if you're not used to it then you might accidentally click something or select something from the list of completions that auto imports and then you are very confused because you go, go to the top of your file and you notice oh i didn't import that how did that end up there
0: yeah 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 it's like yeah it's kind of interesting so that's just under you to modify those kinds of things, it would be under settings.
1: Yes, you can um, change it in your settings JSON if you want to turn it off. Okay. And the the documentation for all of our settings is in the our our GitHub repo, which we use for issue tracking and documentation. So you can get it there or you can check out the settings in VS Code proper. If you just click on the Pylance extension, we have those all listed. And oh, and also you can get it by, from, we we recently added full completion support in your settings JSON. So if you start typing something like completions, you will get that for you. So you don't even have to look it up. So that's awesome. <laughs> I forgot about
0: cool. that. Cool. All right. Auto completions for your settings. That's great.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so many in VS Code, so yeah no it's <laughs> anything to make it easier
0: yeah no totally it's very deep <laughs> as yeah. far as the setting screens it's like multiple uh indexings
1: <laughs> and yes. layers yeah
0: okay yeah so what are the other ones on the list that we were kind of going through if we kind of keep going down the ad- additional things that it's providing
1: yeah, So the the last one right now is code actions and so okay this is well, this actually, it's not the last one, but there's many. But uh, I think the last sure. like, biggie is we have code actions enabled for imports. So that's if you try and invoke a function from a module that you have not yet imported, similarly to auto imports, you can see like a little light bulb appear that will allow you to Right click that light bulb, then you can select the import and it will add to the top of the line. So that's a little bit more like manual. And people who usually don't like auto imports much prefer the add import code actions. Okay. And then also we have one that will detect. If the import is not being used and we'll tell you, like have a a light bulb to ask you to suggest that you can remove it. And that also pairs nicely with the the other feature that I want to mention, which is the dead code analysis Hmm. feature, which will flag chunks of code that are not going to be executed or variables that aren't used.
0: Okay. So it kind of does a, a sort of preemptive scan of your code and kind of can see something that's not going to be run
1: yeah so there's like some code flow analysis that happens and basically what happens is it will gray out the area that is not going to be run so i think that's like kind of nice especially if you're working on like really big code bases and you've been working on like refactoring or you know resolving bugs and stuff that you can catch that kind of stuff i know that i've worked in code bases where we've refactored and then there's like dead code and we know it but we don't know where it lives
0: (laughs) sure yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Like you would have to reduce multiple functions down into like one or something like yeah. that. Now these things are never called.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. I was looking at as you were posting recently about updates to VS Code. And I don't know how involved you are in some of some of the features being added to VS Code also. Is that part of your role?
1: No, I focus okay. largely on PyLance. Sometimes that means that I have to, I work with the VS Code team to make things happen, but largely like in the, we're all in the Python realm. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess if there are additional Python features and the one I'm thinking of is the interactive windows.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Is that something you're involved with?
1: I, I am not. Okay. Other PMs on my team, we, we've kind of divided up the Python like workload. And so there's like, you know, there's a data site. There's, there's two data science PMs for VS code and uh, Python and VS code. And then there's a PM that owns the extension, a uh, Python extension all up. And uh, then there's me. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very much divided. That makes sense. But we all like anything Python, VS Code. Like, I know, I know a person that can make something happen That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting feature that, that sort of uh, notebook kind of like, functionality of the interactive windows i thought that was kind of neat
1: yeah so Pylance works with jupyter notebooks and vs code which is something i think this this the functionality is a subset of all python functionality some of the functionality for Pylance doesn't necessarily make sense for people using notebooks but yeah that that poses uh that that using an ipymb file is uh was definitely something that my team uh, worked on trying to make sure that pilots like actually all the fe- all the right features were lighting up because the structure of the file, as you can imagine, is quite different than like PI files.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can totally see that. And having worked in Jupyter Notebooks the and being frustrated <laughs> to not have any form of like compre- completion and yeah. other things like that where it would just be or, you know, eventually it might sluggishly slowly give you some you know, hints and some additional things inside of it. Um, I'm excited to try that out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, the big ones there that are uh, lit up for Jupiter in VS Code are completions, tooltips on completion. So that's like the signature help and doc strings and then symbol hover so if you hovered on a function you can see the signature but then the you know the things that don't necessarily work are like go to definition
0: yeah i was thinking that like yeah because that what it would normally do is open that other file for you right (laughs) exactly okay so yeah so i was thinking about that like you know that's one big advantage of having that is that you know you can kind of track down like Okay, if you did get an error. <laughs> yeah. Or you're having to do some other kind of trace back kind of thing, it really assists in that whole process of doing the actual tracing pack. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. One of the things that I think is mentioned in there is the ability to work across multiple workspaces. And I kind of was intrigued by that. And I don't know I I played with it for, for the first time with like a uh <laughs> Raspberry Pi and I was doing some experimentation with that and I was you know, using on my Mac to connect to it remotely, which was pretty cool. And I can imagine in like these sort of you know, serverless and other kinds of architectures in, in Docker and so forth, this idea of like being able to access these other remote workspaces. I don't know if you can kind of give a little background on that and how pylance kind of can work with those.
1: Yeah. So multi-root workspaces was something new to me coming to to work on my team <laughs> But and so this I didn't even know we, VS Code could do this when I started, but it's, I think it's pretty cool. So let's imagine that you're working on, you work on multiple projects and they're either related or, I don't know, you, you want to see both of them in the same kind of like window. Uh, so VS Code has this construct of like multi-root workspaces, which means basically why this is special for PyLance is that uh, PyLance will let you run multiple instances of the language server, one for each root in your workspace, okay, which means that you could have like your own configuration, your own settings JSON in each folder, um, and the language server would use that like discreetly, like on its own. Uh, so you could, like, let's say one of your projects had types in Python, so you wanted our strict type checking mode enabled, whereas the other one, maybe you don't, you could totally do that in a multi-root workspace. So I think that's kind of like the beauty of it, and this is something that our the Microsoft Python language server didn't really do very well and something that we were not really able to get working for, for this. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that's like largely the gist of it. I don't know. Um, I am actually not like a huge user of this feature, but I think that like the potential is, that it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I guess, it, you know, again, having maybe it goes back to that idea of like the multiple potential code bases in the, the versions and so forth that they might be based upon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: The one other thing is that you can have um, a, like you could have like a, a configuration file in each route or, and you can also have one at the top level if there are settings that apply to all the routes. And so like there's a prioritization structure of like, Oh, I prioritize what's in my file and then what's at like the, you know, there's, We, we, we ingest that and like (laughs) uh, conflate them all together so that you can actually have settings stored in multiple places and it it all works really nicely.
0: One of the questions I I have that I guess slightly off topic, but like, why do you like to make developer tools? Like, why did you get into this?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a great question. So I mentioned before, I used to be a software engineer and I kind of like fell into the world of software engineering. And then at some point kind of like realized that I wanted to work as a program manager in product because I was really interested in kind of like the why of like why we should build something or like, you know, what do users really want? And so I think like for me now working as a program manager on the language server, it's like really exciting to me to work on like figuring out the why for like this, you know, this developer tool because like I am... And I was and am an end user of this product. So I feel like it's totally easy to like empathize and relate and get like super excited about the functionality that we're lighting up because I don't know, as an end user, I would be really excited. And also I feel like, you know, when I hear, you know, if I'm interviewing a customer or a user of the product and I hear them say like, this made my life so much easier, I feel like that's like the most rewarding thing, especially because like developer tools are like all about productivity. Yeah. And like how can we get you writing your best code? Like the fastest or like, you know, how can we make all the pain points you have be less painful? Um I don't know, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's like really, I don't know, it's very empowering and I feel like it's all worth it when I hear someone say like, "Oh, Pylance made me so much more productive or whatever." Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just really rewarding um and really relatable for me.
0: What kinds of things like I don't know if you can give like a an a concrete example of of somebody, you know, like some usage that they had that that it improved on.
1: I think like the big one and this is kind of like coming down to like I think, you know, we've really emphasized that PyLance is really performant and you know, I we've seen, you know, old or existing Microsoft language Python language server users say that like, you know, they are seeing their project like when they go to open a project it used to take them like 10 minutes to have you know, MPLS or some other uh, product index their files and like before they could actually start writing code. Yeah. But with PyLance, we don't really do any upfront analysis. So there's no indexing and there's no waiting. So now they're like, oh, like I went from 10 minutes down to like five seconds. Wow. You know, and I think like that for me, like, I don't know. I That's something that I always like <laughs> really griped about in other like products that I had used when I was writing Python because I like I know that there are some users that don't care about like the bells and whistles. They're like give me vim and I'm happy. Right. But I was I was never that user. I definitely appreciated like go to definition and like completions and stuff and like I feel like there's nothing worse than like having to wait to try and get what you want to get done. You know, I think like I feel like developers are very like action focused, so it's like how can I get from <laughs> A to B like as fast as possible? I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to leave and go read things for like 10 minutes to try and figure out, oh, this isn't working or, you know, how can we, how can we keep people writing code without getting them distracted? Or like, how can we make them do that as quickly as possible?
0: Yeah. Maybe that kind of goes back to something that we touched on initially, which was like, how does it help like that beginner person? How does it help them code?
1: Yeah. So I think like the beauty of pylance is that, like I mentioned for, for like some functions, I think like a lot of when I first started programming, like a lot of my my gripes were like, okay, I need to use this function, but I don't know what to like pass into it. I don't know what it takes. And I think like we do a pretty good job of surfacing like the signature help, like, oh, like you need to pass in a file here or you need to pass in like a string. And I think that's kind of helpful because it like doesn't make users have to go read documentation to figure out what they're trying to accomplish. And then the other thing is that we also work with IntelliCode, which is something that some users are really into, especially when they're getting started. IntelliCode basically takes the PyLance completion suggestions and prioritizes it based on your context using machine learning. And so we're totally compatible with that as well, which I think, you know, I feel like the, the thing here that I'm really interested in is trying to get like the python and vs code to be like this comprehensive suite of tooling so that you can like come here and like just do things fast <laughs> um and i think like we're i think that's like where a lot of my focus has been in the last little while and yeah, so i think like that's definitely something that's helpful for for new python users
0: yeah i think that's cool like i i use tools like that in my trainings in the video tutorials that i use i use a Mm -hmm. a REPL tool called B-Python and it does a lot of that, you know, suggestions and showing the definitions and so forth. But it excites me that, you know, now with these types of tools that I can actually almost do it all inside of, you know, without having to open up anything kind of separate. um, It's, it's going to give me a lot of that, you know, the definitions and everything in the doc strings and all (laughs) that stuff right there. And again, the idea of like not having to go look up something, having it kind of like brought to you, I think is so crucial is IntelliCode rec- like a separate install at that point then yeah. a, s- a separate add on.
1: Yeah. So you would just, so Pylance works like, so you have to have the Python extension installed to use Pylance in VS code. They're, they're like yep. sister products. We work very closely together. And then IntelliCode is a separate installation. Also you can get that from the marketplace um, and IntelliCode actually works with other languages too. It's not just Python. It's kind of a, a cool thing to try out if you're, you know, trying to, I, I thought it was pretty neat that they could prioritize based on context or like, you know, not just, uh, you know, frequency of use or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of weekly questions that I like to ask everybody. And the first one goes into, you know, something that you're excited about in the world of Python. And that could be like an event or. A tool or a book or something happening in the world of Python that you personally are excited about right now?
1: Yeah. So I can well, one, more Pylons goodness coming into the world. And okay. so that's like a shameless plug. Uh, and then two <laughs> that's okay. I'm, I'm into it. I'm here. I'm I'm here for it, I guess. And then the other is just like in-person conferences. Sure. <laughs> like like I I have never attended PyCon US and I was supposed to go this year. And it obviously got, you know, digital, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I'm looking forward to hopefully in the new year, going to some conferences and meeting some users and talking to them about their VS Code Python experience. Yeah. I also just like love attending the the talks and like hearing what people are working on. And I think it's just a good way to get connected to the community. And, you know, I think programming people think about it sometimes and they're just like, uh, it's just me and my computer. It's like, no, but there's like a whole world of people out there. Right. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody to design that thing you're using. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So let's talk. Yeah. I just can't wait to, I don't know, do social things again.
0: <laughs> have you, have you done any, uh, uh, talks at a, at a conference before?
1: No, not yet, but it, it is on my, like, it's like all my, my goals. Okay. Of like speaking at a, an upcoming conference. So I've only att- I only had the opportunity of attending PyCascades back in oh gosh was that February March I can't remember okay but in in Portland and that was super awesome to talk to yeah some folks
0: yeah talk to some of the organizers of that
1: yeah I think I met David from Real Python there
0: oh David Amos yeah sure
1: yeah yeah he's that's who he's I was awesome.
0: that's who uh, provided me the question I asked you earlier oh. <laughs> about type checking
1: <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, I'm no, I'm new
0: to types in Python too. So uh. yeah, well, it's 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 kind of crazy. It's Just like the more I, I talk to people, the more they kind of come up. And you know, I was talking to Langa, the release manager for Python three nine, and and you know, obviously that went down some of that path also, which was very interesting.
1: Yeah,
0: and and I did like a, my own video course on type checking, and so it was like it kind of became this like theme <laughs> for a while. But I, I feel like it's you know. It, Definitely as a beginner and getting into Python over the last several years, you know, it's not something that's required, but the more that you're going to share code and it's going to interact with other things. And then seeing the advantages that, you know, that it it can provide through the tools that we've talked about throughout this whole episode, you can kind of start to see, okay, well, yeah, there's some, (laughs) some big advantages to it. And, you know, it's just, it, it's such a, a language that can be used in so many different ways. and so. Some of the ways you may not need this, but in, in many other ways, especially if you're going to integrate your code with other things, it's almost like a form of documentation, you know, that, that is important to show intent, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like some, you know, expresses intentionality. And I, I think, uh, I mean, it also kind of serves as a form of living documentation, Yeah, you know, like I feel like people, I mean, this is also a contentious topic, but you know, people love to. I don't know, argue about whether, how many comments or how commented code should be. But I mean, at least if it's like, you know, in type annotations or something, then like you're forced to kind of keep it up to date. Otherwise you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) Right. So I think that's kind of helpful for sure. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to kind of see where the community heads with this in the next couple of years. But yeah, I feel like lots of people are talking about it right now.
0: Yeah. The other question I have is, what are you interested in learning next?
1: So I've recently found the world of physical computing, like Arduino's and Raspberry Pis. And oh, cool! Yeah, I mean, so I, I do grad school part time. I've been doing; I'm almost done, and I'm doing it in like kind of like well, the the field is called human centered design and engineering. But what that boils down to is kind of like user experience. But right last quarter, I had the the opportunity to take a class that was all about like design for the Internet of Things. Yeah. And so I have spent a bunch of time playing around with a feather huzzah, doing stuff in C++ or like, or not C, well, it's kind of like C++, it's Arduino, it's not really C++, but.
0: Yeah, it's their IDE, right?
1: Oh, and it's brutal. I like, ugh, I, yeah, it, I, I miss, this is where <laughs> I'm, I am the person that wants the, the bells and whistles. I want completions. I want syntax highlighting. <laughs> I want, you know, but. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm, I'm really, so I, I took a feather hazan and I was like, I'm going to put Python on this and I'm going to try and use it. And the prof didn't want me to do that. So I <laughs> we, we were trying to stay in the Arduino realm. So I had played around a little bit with MicroPython, but I'm really excited about learning about CircuitPython right now. Yeah. And I'd love to get my hands on like a Circuit Playground, which is super cool because I think like a lot of like the really basic components are built into the board, which is kind of nice especially if like you're starting out and you're trying to learn how to like wire up an led or like stuff like that so i think i think that's probably next on my list of like python things to learn
0: yeah i mean adafruit is the best (laughs) they have so (laughs) many yeah they have so many great tools and i have Thea flowers on and she's been making these uh audio projects that that kind of combine a lot of that stuff which has been really kind of fun and I still haven't wired my up. I need to get a what's called a Euro rack. To it's cause like a little synthesizer.
1: Oh, that's so cool! Yeah,
0: and the idea that I could program it and make my own little sampler and stuff. And yeah, it's definitely one of my own little hobbies. And I did a Arduino course for real Python. That was kind of fun. And and it was more connected though. You're you're installing a an additional library to be able to. to remotely control it you know you still have to have your computer connected mm-hmm. but the idea of like moving on to like standalone things where you just plug in the device and the code files like right, right there you know um is pretty amazing to be able to edit in just raw python yeah so yeah cool
1: yeah i think that it's also like i was in this class with a, a bunch of folks who are non-engineers and they had no programming experience and they were thrown into like arduino language and they were like what what is this like how, how you yeah. know like this is like a lot whereas i think <laughs> like you know starting out in that like space using python is just like a lot more approachable like it's i don't know it's a lot more readable you don't have to like deal with types if you don't want to you know what i mean so
0: yeah exactly yeah 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 well i want to thank you so much for coming on the show
1: yeah thanks for having me this was super fun
0: I want to thank Savannah Ostrowski for coming on the podcast. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey. and I look forward to talking to you soon.